today on Ag News Daily. I think the okay. way to think about this in terms of the economics is to think of two different planting decisions this year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, joined today by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how you doing? I am pretty good, Mike. I had an interesting experience last night on PBS NewsHour, which, uh, for those of you that don't know, is the national version of your local PBS station. They've got national coverage on, on news and other things. So I had the opportunity to talk about the new assistance package on that last night and how farmers feel about it. And let me tell you, the comments that people have written on Facebook and Twitter about what I said, not specifically what I said, but just about President Trump and farmers in general, has been um, interesting, to say the least. Well, Delaney, let's take a step back. How do farmers feel about this trade package? Well, you know, the question that I was asked last night is, do, do does rural America still support President Trump? And largely so, I would say that that is probably the case. Um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. We're going to hear from Scott Irwin, who is an economics professor at University of Illinois here later in the episode to discuss some of those issues and sentiment regarding the new assistance package. But he pretty much flat out says that he thinks this was a political move for President Trump to try and win back the hearts of farmers in rural America. And I would say that through and through, he really has kept the support of that community pretty much unwavering the whole time during his administration, right, wrong or otherwise, whether you agree with his tactics or not. I'm not saying I agree or disagree. That's not for me to say. I'm a journalist. I don't want to get involved in that. But, but Delaney, you have opinions. See, this is the I thing. Do. This fake, this fake centrism amongst journalists is part of the problem we have in this country because people perceive their journalists to be unbiased when they mm -hmm. are not. Nobody is oh, unbiased. I agree. So, where do you stand? What are Delaney's biases? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to get into them. So you want to lie to our audience? No, I'm not lying. What are your biases? I am phenomenally opposed to this president's trade policy. Okay. I'm phenomenally opposed if to these market facilitation programs. I, I believe that what we are doing in this country with regards to trade is fabulously boneheaded. And okay. I think we're throwing a wrench into a perfectly good system. Now, does that make me hate the president? No, of course right. not. I want the president to be successful. I hope whatever he's pulling for here, we get in the long run. But it is going to take the long run to mm -hmm. make it happen. And in the meantime, rural America is going to suffer unless we continue to suckle off the government teat, which most folks in agriculture don't want to be doing. We'd much rather be trading freely with our international partners. If they're a partner in trade, if they're buying stuff from us, then we should be selling them our stuff because okay. we produce really high quality stuff in this country. Yeah. We need selling it overseas. I would absolutely agree with that sentiment. I don't want to speak to whether or not I like President Trump as a president because honestly I think that's irrelevant. I agree. I, I'm I'm a hundred percent with you there. He is the president, so you can't we gotta change it. Know with yeah, exactly. Down, but but yeah. so yesterday you spoke about a Reuters article that um, essentially talked about the amount of taxes that each American citizen is paying, right? Additional tariffs. Right. Yes. So I have an interesting piece of kind of follow-up news to that. So the American Farm Bureau Association has put together an estimate about tariff revenues and have shown in their recent estimates through the Trump administration's current tariff pace, we usually, like last year and I would say quote-unquote normal market years, we generate about $50 billion in 
revenue because of tariffs. So far okay. this year, we're already at uh, $22 billion, and we've only you know, had a couple of first four months here. The first four months were $22 billion, so after April, up 78% from last year. Mm. And so when you look at it from a year-long perspective, last year we were at $50 billion. This year they're expected, if we keep on pace with the current tariffs we have set in place, expected to see about $72 billion in 2019 from tariff-based revenue, which would be a new record set here in the United States. That is bad news. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money coming out of the pockets of who, Delaney? Well... That's a good question. So the way that this... nope, it it's coming out of the pockets of Americans who import goods from overseas. It's a tax on America. So as a country, we, our citizens, are paying $72 billion to Uncle Sam this year just for the privilege of buying things. Buying things from other countries. Yeah, but, you know, and and maybe this is a problem we have, and I've heard from some listeners who think that President Trump's trade policy is on the right track. We should be buying more stuff made in the USA. Um, but the truth is, most of us, when we go to the grocery store, we don't check the label to see where it's made. We right. either buy on value or we buy on quality, not mm-hmm. on geographic location. Right. You know, and maybe we should do that more. I, I'm, you know, I'm that's curious a, that's to a know. value statement. I'm curious to know if other countries place a high value on buying um, buying like home country products. Because when you look at the food industry, we absolutely do that. We want American beef, pork, vegetables. We want local, homegrown, etc. But when we, it comes to pretty much all of our other goods, I feel like we don't as a country do that. I'm curious if other countries do. Um, I think to some extent, I know Canadians have a fair bit of national pride. They'll buy Canadian. And I know in this country, um, I think of the, uh, the infomercials for my pillow. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, but this super is... comfy pillow. Yeah. One of his main selling points is that it's made here in the U S. So people oh. are able to capitalize on that and you can charge a premium if you're making goods here in the U S but for the average consumer and Delaney, this applies to the grocery store as well. This is why the, uh, oh, mandatory um, M-Cool, uh, mandatory country mm-hmm. of origin labeling, is such a hot topic because we do have beef coming into this country from foreign sources, Mexico and Canada mainly, and, uh, and I, people don't check. Uh, I was right. working with a friend of mine used to lead the Iowa Beef Industry Council, and he he was he's a fantastic guy, total nerd about the beef industry, and one of his hobbies was going into the grocery store hmm. and watching to see, just like creepily standing on the, uh, at the edge of the aisle, watching – how consumers approach the meat case, what they look at when they're picking up packages of uh, of fresh meat in the grocery store. And he said, overwhelmingly, what people looked at was the cut, what, right. what's in the package. And then the second most common thing, the price. what's the price? Yeah. You know, that's what people care about. And I think that's true around the world. But if you're in China, chances are you're pretty poor. You don't have the opportunity to buy a lot of stuff made in the U.S. because we make high value things mm-hmm. in this country. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's my tangent for the day. While we're talking economies, though, there is some perhaps bad news on the horizon. So uh, we had a weak manufacturing report came out this morning. Um, so it, it looks as though that new orders for U.S. made capital goods fell more than expected in April. So this is perhaps another piece of concern that the economy is to slow. Um, there was a report out by, oh gosh, 
now I just closed my computer. Jeez. <laughs> a big bank, JP Morgan, uh, just, just released a report saying they expect GDP this year to drop down to 1%, down from the 2.2% we were at last year. And part of the reason the economy is expected to slow down is mm-hmm. higher costs caused by tariffs. Tariffs. Yes. So we are quite literally shooting ourselves in the foot several times over with this trade war thing. We're, we're driving up prices and perhaps, of course, these are economists and economists speculate, uh, perhaps slowing down the economy looking ahead to, uh, the remainder of the year. However, or in addition to, I suppose I should say, the Mexican economy is shrinking. It was actually down, um, in the first quarter of 2019. And, um, that has really kind of spooked, um, new president, uh, Lopez Obrador, who has really trying to kind of make Mexico great again, um, through a lot of, of different policies and trying to encourage some government spending and, and trying to free up some regulations and this sort of thing. And, uh, this is kind of a blow to his administration, which, uh, really just got started, I think, in December of last year, if, if I, I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. That's... Yeah, so the Mexican economy was down two tenths of a percent, um, versus the, the previous quarter. So this mm. is, you, you need two quarters in a row to see a shrinking economy to be in a recession. So Mexico is halfway to a recession. Okay. As uh, are some other global superpowers, I think. Yes, and I don't think Mexico counts as a superpower. No, I know. I mean, tacos are delicious, and <laughs> I love burritos, but I don't think they're they're quite there yet. Yeah. No. Maybe developing countries. Is that how you'd classify yeah. them? I think so. Okay. I think so too. Second world, maybe. I'm not sure. Anyways, um, so the really the last piece of news I had, because I want to keep um, news short today because we have a really good conversation with Dr. Scott oh. Irwin coming up. This is a piece of news he's going to allude to in his interview here with us just coming up, and that's about the new disaster relief package that has now been cleared in the Senate. So this $19.1 billion disaster aid package was confirmed to be passed by the Senate. We've got to wait and see what the House does with it when they come back from their recess here in June. But this bill, this version that was passed in the Senate, gives $3 billion to farmers to cover crop losses. Um, They allocated $1.6 billion to repair damaged highways, $720 million for U.S. Forest Service to help wildfire suppressions, and $120 million to help the National Park Service repair damage. So that was kind of the addition to the normal stuff we know for hurricanes, wildfires, etc. So this $3 billion to farmers to cover crop losses, as uh, Dr. Irwin is going to talk about here in just a little while, it seems that there has been an insertion in this bill that that $3 billion to farmers to cover crop losses could include prevented planter prevent plant acres mike yes so it, i don't want to beat on this drum too long dr Irwin will dive into this mm-hmm. and what this means a little bit especially in combination with the new mfp payout program so listeners stay tuned see how this could impact your operation and what you need to be aware of while you're making these decisions here on may 25th on may 31st mm-hmm. on june 6th and so on these prevent planting dates stay tuned and uh, listen to dr Irwin. i've got just one piece of commentary that i want to make sure we get in since okay. we are talking quite a bit about this new market facilitation program it is very unwieldy and there's a lot of moving parts and you know perhaps 
we're a media outlet. Perhaps we have uh, have misspoken in some of our summations. So this is from the USDA. They say, quote, details on the new farming support program will be forthcoming shortly. But we want to be clear that the program is being designed to avoid skewing planting decisions one way or another. Farmers should continue to make their planting and production decisions with the current market signals in mind, rather than some expectation of what a farming support program might or might not look like based on inaccurate media stories. Yeah, so actually I'm glad you mentioned that because I listened to an interview that Chip Flory from Farm Journal did with with Secretary Purdue uh, the today, posted it. I shared it on my Twitter. You can find it to AgriTalk. It's just an extra that they did. And Secretary Purdue addresses this issue in full, in my opinion, as much as he possibly could with the information we have available. And I think it's also worth a listen to just hear what he says about how the idea behind why they think this won't skew the market with the information that they've released. Okay. And especially, as you mentioned, with that disaster aid program, as Dr. Irwin will get into here in just a sec. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's the news. Let's throw it over to Dr. Irwin. But before we do that, Delaney, what do you say we hit the markets? We've got a bit of a rally going on in the grains. We do. But before we hit to the markets, Mike, I want to make sure that we get included in today's podcast discussion, our Hot Rod Farmer Minute with Ray Bohax. It's a new segment that we're trying to include here in the Ag News Daily Podcast. And with all the Hubaloo yesterday, we did not get to present that to our listeners, so let's turn it over to Ray. The ability to quickly determine the temperature of a part without any disassembly is a wonderful aid when things go wrong. All it requires is an infrared non-contact temperature gun. In some cases, heat will be an indication of a problem, while in others, it will be a lack of temperature. Engine misfire. To determine which cylinder is misfiring on either a gas or diesel engine, measure the temperature as close to the exhaust port of the cylinder as possible. Compare this reading with the other cylinders. If the cylinder is not burning the fuel, it will be cooler than the others. Confirmation of engine coolant gauge. Measure the temperature at the sending unit for the gauge. It should read within reason of the gauge. If not, the sending unit gauge or wiring is the problem. Engine oil temperature. Shoot the oil pan and, if possible, the oil filter. There will be a small amount of heat loss, but it will be close enough for diagnostics. Blockage in radiator, intercooler, oil cooler, or heater core. Follow the liquid or airflow into the heat exchanger. It should drop in temperature as it travels through it. Look for either excessively high or low temperature spots to find the blockage. Excessive brake drag. Measure the drum or rotor temperature to find the dragging brake shoe repaired. Stuck thermostat. When stuck closed, the temperature will be high on the engine side of the thermostat and low on the outlet. If stuck open, it will be almost the same on both sides of the flow in and out. Tires. When balancing tire pressure on a machine that is in the sun, keep in mind that for every 10 degrees Fahrenheit change, the pressure is skewed by 1 PSI. For example, the ambient temperature is 60 degrees and you want 32 PSI in all tires. The temperature of the tires in the sun are 90 degrees. Those will need to read 35 PSI on the gauge to be 32 PSI when they drop to 60 degrees. 
bearings. A bearing will run hotter when it is starting to fail. Find the noisy bearing in any machine by taking its temperature. The possibilities are endless if you apply just some American farmer ingenuity. I'm Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter Podcast, heard on the Global Ag Network. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Ray. Everybody check out the Hot Rod Farmer. He is an incredible resource if you've got machinery on the farm, and I know we all do. I learn a lot every time I listen to him and every time I'm lucky enough to have a conversation with him. I walk away smarter. So be sure to check out the Hot Rod Farmer podcast. But Absolutely. If you're going to be working on machinery, you need money, and we got a rally going on in the grain markets, maybe we can get you some more money. Delaney, what do you mm-hmm. say? Should we see where prices wrap? Let's do it. All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, we've got volatility. We've got opportunity. Reach out to trusted advisors at the Zaner Group to put a marketing plan together and to make sure you can manage your marketing risk more effectively. Give them a shout at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As I mentioned Green on the screen in the grains today. July corn up 14 and a half cents at 404 and a quarter. December new crop up 11 and three quarters. 419 and three quarters was the close. This extended forecast calling for rain has a lot of traders not wanting to hit the weekends short this corn market. Beans also up a little bit. July contract up eight and a quarter at 829 and three quarters. November new crop up eight cents finished at 856 and a quarter. Wheat big winner today. The July contract up 19 and a quarter cents at 489 and a half. September up 18 and a half. Closed the day at 496 and three quarters. And not a great day in the livestock sector. Cattle saw some weakness. The June contract was up 3750 at 111.1750 with the August down 20 at 107.95. Feeders, very similar story. Mixed trade. The August up 20 cents at 143.22 and a half. September down 12 and a half. Closed at 143.8750. And it was ugly in the lean hog markets today. June limit down, down the $3 daily trading limit. Closed at 86.42 and a half. July lean hogs. Limit down $3 lower, finished at $87.95. Weakness as well over in the dairy sector as we check out the prices on class three milk. The June contract was down 12 cents at 16.32 with the July also down 12 to close at 16.52. With that, Delaney, let's kick it over to Dr. Scott Irwin. Well, to wrap up this week's discussion, we've had a lot of news come out this week. We've got prevent plants deadlines nearing on the horizon. We had yesterday's trade assistance package announced. And to help us break down some of those issues impacting agriculture is Dr. Scott Irwin, who is an agricultural economics professor at the University of Illinois. Scott, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. I know you have a busy schedule and you're tweeting away sharing this information with folks. Well, I really appreciate the invitation. So, I guess to kick it off, I, I want to know your initial reaction to yesterday's announcement with this new trade assistance package. Well, my initial reaction uh, was one mainly of confusion. It was so different than what we expected, and not having the payment rates specified um, was kind of annoying. And so I think my initial reaction was uh I'm sure on Twitter sounded pretty annoyed, um, but I've had kind of more like uh, 24 hours to absorb it and think about it. And I'm trying to put out some information this morning that I think is more reflective 
in understanding what the pro outlines of the program are likely to be. And so um, I can get into that if you would like. Yeah, Scott, I think that is where we need to start. Yesterday's announcement, I was on the phone call with USDA when they made the announcement, and confusion is certainly a, a very apt way to put it. Now that you've had some time to reflect and to dig a little bit deeper, bring us up to speed. And I, we really only are interested in focusing on the MFP portion of the payment plan. So let's talk about how are producers going to get any of this, uh, this government money this year? Well, the program itself is, as I, from all of we have our broad outlines, is that there'll be one payment rate per county that will be based on a formula that is based on a payment rate that's unspecified, but the latest rumors are $2 a bushel for soybeans, $0.04 cents for corn, and I think 63 or $0.68 cents for wheat. And there'll be some kind of formula that um, comes up with a dollar per acre payment for all acres of eligible crops in a county. And so this, it, it's interesting. It will be based on yield and acreage last year in a county. And uh, no matter what you plant this year, up to the total of what you planted last year, you'll be eligible for whatever the payment turns out to be. So let's just say you're in a county, and I think this is probably not going to be too far off in a lot of counties, um, say that they, they, you get all done, it's $50 an acre. That means that so long as all the farms in the county don't plant more corn and soybeans than they planted last year, that every acre of corn and soybeans will be eligible for a $50 per acre payment. Does that help? Yeah, it does. It does. And, oh, go ahead, Delaney. Well, go ahead and ask follow-up questions. Yeah, it, it does. But one of the questions I had in some discussions with producers and some other reporters yesterday was, so it's based on your county's historical average, but what if a producer decides, okay, well, canola and rapeseed are also on the list. I'm just going to buy a seed that's super cheap and not plant corn or soybeans this year and plant rapeseed or something else instead. Does the administration, I mean, that's on the list of approved commodities that are included under this basket of commodities. So do they still also receive the same, let's use $50 payment as somebody else who's planting corn or soybeans, even if rapeseed yes. hasn't been produced in that county before? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So this is, so Scott, from an economics perspective, from a supply and demand perspective, clearly this is still well, potentially market distorting, it is going to encourage acres to go in the ground of something, not necessarily corner beans. Is that your take on this? I wish it were that simple. Um, yeah. If you'll give me a couple minutes to break this down. I think the okay. way to think about this in terms of the economics is to think of two different planting decisions this year. The first is 
assuming I'm going to plant or I can plant up to the end of my crop insurance um, dates. Okay. Let's, let's, mm-hmm. if, if, if you're clearly in an area where you can't take prevent plant. Okay. Let's, let's take that um, situation. So if you're going to plant, the program is fully decoupled. Even though we don't know what the payment is going to be, even if we knew it with 100% certainty, you should make exactly the same acreage decision if you're going to plant, or if you can plant, if you're not eligible, so to speak, for prevent plant. That makes so that's the first key mm-hmm. part. It is because that, uh, you get the exact same payment no matter what you plant in that county. Right. So why would I plant a high cost, a high input cost crop like corn if I can just run out there, buy some alfalfa seed, and throw it on and call my acres planted? Well, this is where we're going to um, you have to get the details of the program and. And this will get into the aspect of the program, the MFP, that is not decoupled. Okay? Ah. And this this is the key that I think where there's a lot of confusion. So let's – hopefully everybody understands that if I plant, I get the same payment or same check no matter what I plant in my county. Mm-hmm. We call that a decoupled payment. And it's in that sense, the USDA program is non-market distorting. Okay. Because you will plant based on the market economics for areas where prevent plant is not a consideration. It's very okay. important that you understand that first. And so, yep, I think we get that. I think up. I think the US I think the USDA should be given credit for coming up probably in a short amount of time, a pretty ingenious way to announce something during the planting period that doesn't distort planting decisions in the areas that cannot take prevent plant. Okay. So that's the good news for the USDA if you're kind of keeping score on how they're doing. Now let's think about the other planting decision, which is plant, no plant, or prevent plant, or plant. That decision is obviously 100% coupled to MFP. You get zero MFP if you take prevent plant. Mm -hmm. You get the full if I plant corn or whatever I plant um, acreage to for uh, 2019. So this is potentially has a substantial impact on the economics of the prevent plant decision. Do you think some so, producers? Do you think some producers have in mind then that maybe they were thinking about taking prevent plant before and now they're thinking? okay, I don't know how much this payment could be. This payment could be more than what I get for prevent plant, or maybe it makes more economical sense to not take prevent plant. Is that, you think, maybe what producers are now thinking or confused by? 
Oh, absolutely. This is where okay. the USDA's announcement went off the rails yesterday, in mm -hmm. my opinion, because now we have massive uncertainty introduced into the plant, no plant decision. In every other year, probably for the last 25, this would not be that big of a deal because the amount yeah. of potential prevent plant acres is so small. But here we are in a year where tens of millions of acres are potentially impacted by um, the MFP um, plant, no plant issue. So give you a way of thinking about it. You know, this is just a guess. Nobody knows. But I think for, at least here in the heart of the Corn Belt, an expectation is for a payment of maybe uh, $50 to $75 an acre in, say, central Illinois, based on MFP. So a producer then will have to ask, is an expectation while still completely uncertain at this point, in that range, enough to compensate me for planting corn really, really late instead of taking prevent plant or moving to soybeans. Right. And so I think, Scott, that's the, the million-dollar question in my mind. The initial concern earlier this week when President Trump announced the $2 or the the it was reported that the administration was thinking $2 a bushel of soybeans, that we were going to see a huge rush into bean plantings. So they took that out of consideration, you know, the decoupling part of it. But it sounds as if they kind of snuck in an incentive for beans again, given the later planting window for soybeans, and given the fact that it's a little cheaper, a little less risky crop to put in the ground with the uncertainty coming on these payments. So do you at this point anticipate an upsurge or an upswing in soybean acres because of this announcement? Maybe. You know, first off, we've got to keep in mind the big picture, which is the planting window for the next 10 days to two weeks in the Corn Belt still looks awful. Yeah. And so Mother Nature may still have the final say. And you have, we have to keep that in mind. But as far as, you know, everything else equal, um, you know, it will come down to, you know, the plant, no plant is now a coupled decision for MFP. So that means that the question will be, what is my second best alternative? You know, what's my best alternative for prevent plant versus planting corn or planting soybeans. And as I do believe you're right, that as you know, we get later and later and later, that as a practical matter, if we're planting the op, have the op, if we're, if it's possible to plant corn or soybeans, say after June 5th in Illinois, I think there'll be a tendency to push towards soybeans because farmers, probably rightfully so, 
see the risks of yield losses much less on soybeans. You know, for example, in recent years, we've been getting on double crop soybeans here in Illinois anywhere from 45 to 55 bushels an acre. You know, and that's a good data point to give you an idea. You've got a lot, a lot less things can probably go wrong on soybeans than corn planted in June in Illinois. And I think everybody knows that. And so I agree with you that that will probably be a force pushing towards soybeans given our current conditions, uh, regardless of these other considerations. Because we have to remember that, you know, as far as I'm quite confident, given the amount of dollars that are available, that, you know, we're not talking $100 an acre um, for the uh, MFP payments in given counties. Um, I think probably 50 to $75 will end up, you know, bounding a large number of counties. And right now, at least in Illinois, that will pull some acres out of prevent plant on June 5th, but certainly not all of them. And I think there'll be a strong incentive instead of uh, if you're going to switch, if you're going to plant, you'll plant beans instead of plant plant corn. Although people will probably diversify that decision mm. somewhat. So that's the place where this is a big kind of mess now is trying to work your way through a decision, plant, no plant, when you don't know the size of the payment that will potentially flip you between plant, no plant. I that That is just kind of a crazy way to run a railroad. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, Scott, I think really the last question I have is why do you think the administration released this information before planting was finalized? Why why not wait until end of June to announce this package? You know, at this point, I think that they, um, you know, I think that the USDA probably would have preferred that. I just think they just have to be honest and say this is a 100% political decision by President Trump after the failure of the uh uh, latest round of trade negotiations with China and knowing the impact that this is, has been having and the promises he's made to his supporters out in uh, soybean country that he felt that politically he had to make a move. And that's why it happened. Okay. And this kind of put the USDA on the spot to try to come up with something that was um, the least distortionary. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, been the rumor definitely circling around is it's been political, that, that's, but that that that's my opinion. I mean, I Yeah. That that's that's the only thing. I if it's okay, I I have one more point that I'd like to add absolutely. that I think is absolutely Please. crucial. So, if there there's this entire layer of confusion about the plant no plant prevent plant how an MFP will impact the relative economics of those choices well to you know um thicken the plot i believe that the u.s senate sent a clear signal yesterday in a little noticed bill that the disaster bill that they passed 
that it is at least the intention of all of the ag state farm senators to at least equalize payments for prevent plant and for uh, MFP acres. The, oh, there was a interesting. There was a yeah. There was a disaster bill passed by the U.S. Senate yesterday afternoon. Suddenly and magically, it has three billion dollars for a disaster relief program, and in it, for the very first time. It explicitly says that prevent plant acres are eligible for disaster assistance. Huh. Ha. So this might be the backdoor way that that coupling between the MFP and prevent plant decision could be decoupled. Bingo. Hmm. And I, it's very clear from my contacts in Washington, D.C., is that is what senators are attempting to accomplish. Interesting. They, well, Dr. And Irwin, so I think when it's all said and done, they're going to uh, – I think when we're all said and done, all those decisions are going to end up being decoupled. Interesting. Well, Dr. Irwin, you have been talking about this quite a bit on Twitter. It's a great way for folks to follow along with you and continue to get your thoughts. How can people follow you on there? It's easy. I'm at, at Scott Irwin UI. And you also have been working with the team at FarmDocs over there at the University of Illinois. Uh, you guys continue to put out fantastic, fantastic materials on the economics of agriculture. Can you uh, can you tell us how do we get a hold or how do we uh, follow along with FarmDocs? It's very easy. You just Google FarmDoc or FarmDoc Daily. Uh, we also have a third site called Farm Policy News. And in any of those three sites, we have – social media links that you can uh, automatically follow us. And we also have an email distribution list you're welcome to sign up for where we put out daily announcements of uh, our latest daily articles, decision tools, everything. Excellent. Well, listeners, be sure to check that out. There are some fantastic resources. And Dr. Irwin, thanks for taking the time to help us make a little more sense of the uh, news that has been coming out of Washington, D.C. Well, hopefully it's uh, helpful and wasn't adding to the confusion. (laughs) All right. Well, again, that was Dr. Scott Orwin there. And folks, if you're on Twitter, I encourage you to follow along with him. He is always posting intriguing information. And if you have any questions, I know it's maybe still a little murky, the exact Uh, details. Yeah. But uh I feel like he's a good resource to ask some of those questions that you may have. He's much smarter than Mike and I. Yes, yes, he is. He is a doctor in front of his name. <laughs> I spent seven years in college and barely got out with a bachelor's degree. I wish that people with masters could have, like, you know, some sort of notice, but whatever. It is what it is, I suppose. You can put MS behind your name on a business card and stuff. Yeah, I know. I just think that's dumb. It is dumb. I'm glad you're not doing it. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah, but you could. I could, I guess. The world needs more smug people. 
<laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, if you want to tune into our smugness on any previous episodes, you can do it on the website at agnewsdaily.com. That'll direct you straight to our new home at the Global Ag Network. You can also interact with us on Facebook and on Twitter. We are on social media all the time. Delaney runs the Facebook side. I take care of Twitter, and we want to hear from you. We want to know what's going on. Reach out to us there. Just search for Ag News Daily, and we'll be there. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 